This episode of Proof of Decentralization is brought to you by the Tornado Cash community. Privacy is a human fight. By the way, I borrowed that saying from Samurai Wallet, who borrowed it from somebody else. But it applies to Tornado, so let's use it. Privacy is a human fight, because if we don't fight for it every single day, we are going to lose it. There are global forces that are working every day to chisel away at your privacy, because they say they want to make the world a safer place. Safer from who? Not from you, right? From terrorists, from drug dealers, from criminals. Therefore, they say anybody who seeks privacy must be one of those things. Are you a terrorist? Are you a drug dealer? Are you a criminal? No, of course not. It's not wrong for you to want privacy, especially on Ethereum where everything is transparent. Tornado Cash does that. And for you to use it is smart. It's not wrong. It's smart, no matter what they tell you. So go learn more about it. Use it properly. If you're going to use it, use it properly. You can get started right now at tornado.cash. Always check those URLs, tornado.cash. On this episode of Proof of Decentralization, I'm joined by Nick Fett of Teller. That's T-E-L-L-O-R. It's a decentralized Oracle project. And we talk a lot about the Oracle problem in DeFi. We talk about what it's like to run a DeFi project that actually sticks to its principles of decentralization and trustlessness. And we also talk about Chainlink and some of their centralization issues. I hope you enjoy it. Nick Fett is joining me here today from Teller, my my employer, right? Yes. Thank you for, for yeah. all of the funds <laughs> and all the pay you've sent me and all of the, oh my gosh, man, that Chainlink campaign was killer. Like we really crushed it, don't you think? It was, it was super good. Um, <laughs> Yeah. We're kidding, by the way. They didn't pay me a dime. Uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, when I started to mention Chainlink's, Chainlink's multi-sig and vulnerabilities and all the little anonymous frog Twitter accounts came out and start, and they found a photo of me wearing a free Teller shirt that I got at ETH Denver, um, where you know my whole goal there is to get as many shirts as possible so I don't have to buy any T-shirts throughout the year. And uh, yeah, you're wearing what is that's the uh, Infura shirt. This is the Infura shirt. It's just how nice much shirt. are they paying you to wear that, man? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So people said I was bribed with the free shirt, and that's why because I there was a picture of me wearing it, and obviously that was a bunch of nonsense. Um, I learned a lot about Teller after I started tweeting about Chainlink, but it would be good to sort of get the elevator pitch from you on on. Teller and even how you got involved with it first before we get into the the meat of it. Sure. Um, yeah. So should should I just I can pro- probably assume sort of broad Oracle knowledge here amongst your listeners, but oracles are basically ways for smart contracts to access off chain data. So smart contracts like you can't read an API if you want to know the price of Bitcoin, the weather, price of the S and P five hundred. You need somebody to enter it manually, and the way that you sort of get that information on chain, that's what's called an Oracle. Cause usually you could just rely on a centralized Oracle. Like if you had just one person, for instance, that's okay. But it's, if they die or, or if they want to cheat you, it's something's wrong. So people build all of these systems out to say, well, how do we make sure that the data we're putting into these smart contracts is trustless? Um, one of these systems is teller, uh, as far as me, um, so I, I've been in Bitcoin for a long time, but I kind of my professional career in, in this space, I guess, started, I was actually at the government. Um, I worked at the CFTC previous to this. So Oh, you're a Fed. I didn't know that. I know. Um, <laughs> now it all makes sense. Yeah. Okay, go on. So I, I was there for <laughs> a few kidding. years. Uh, yeah. This was in like 2015. They, they asked, like, does anybody know anything about Bitcoin? They're, they were starting a blockchain working group. Uh, and, and I was like, you know, the one person at the agency that knew anything about it. Um, uh-huh. So I hopped on that and I got to listen to, you know, all the banks come and pitch why they were putting derivatives and all of their settlement on a blockchain. And none of it made any sense to me because I was like, you know, you can actually do this in a decentralized way. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so so I left in 2017 uh, to go do, I wanted to create a decentralized derivatives platform. Um I got a grant from the Ethereum Foundation, which was super cool. And yeah, I, I brought on uh, Mike and Brenda, who are kind of like my co-founders on, on that project. And we tried tried to build a derivatives 
platform. And as you know, whenever you're building a derivatives platform, which is like, you know, betting on the price of Bitcoin, uh, you need an oracle. So you need somebody to tell you what the price of Bitcoin is. And, you know, 2018, there there were no oracles in 2018. Like it was like, you know, Maker was around, which was like pretty overtly centralized at the time. And um, you had Oracle Eyes, if you remember them. Uh, It was basically one guy. It was like one guy in London running a server and you would just pay him 50 cents and he would put the data in your smart (laughs) contract. And it it worked. And and that was like what people were actually using in production um, at the time. Right. But um, But you could still, I mean, you could still pull feeds from exchanges and things like that, right? But Using Oracleize, yeah. Oh, using Oracleize, but there was no other way to get like a Coinbase price into Ethereum. No, you would, people would usually just run it themselves. The projects would be like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, me as running the derivatives protocol, we'll just put the price in and you guys have to trust me. And there's obviously, you know, we can get into it from my previous job. There's obviously a lot of legal risks to doing that as a protocol. Um, You don't want to, not to mention the fact that you throw any claims of decentralization out the window. Um, it's interesting to, to com- like to start there because yeah, you think, okay, this was like four years ago about, um, yeah. we really didn't have, like there was, was Chainlink around yet? Uh, it was Chainlink just... had launched a token. <laughs> That's what okay. you mean. Uh, but okay. they, they, they came live with their price feeds in 2019. Okay. Um, so there was no Chainlink. There was no teller yet. Um, there was only, so if you remember, data. well, mm-hmm. the other, the way that people, some people like one of the biggest oracles back then was like Augur, if you remember. Right. Um, so like you could use a prediction market to settle for the price and it would just, right. be great. it would just be cr- potentially really, really, really slow. And even so I think it's good to, to, for those that are listening that aren't fully familiar with the, the depth of this problem. Cause if you're new to the space, it's one of those problems that like is so obvious, but it's still really hard to, to wrap your head around. You know, and the real core of the problem is Ethereum doesn't know the price of anything. Ethereum blockchain has no connections to the outside world um, that would allow it to even know the price of itself. Like Ethereum is down big today, but the blockchain doesn't know that. Like, you know, like everything that's happening on the blockchain is being driven from outside prices, right? So it's those price feeds, it's those oracles that are telling it what to do. And if those are centralized, you obviously have a situation where it could be manipulated. Like there's a lot of money at stake and there's a lot of opportunity for people to manipulate those prices to, to do bad things um, or they just screw up, right? If you use an exchange yeah. price and the exchange gets manipulated or just their logic fails somehow, um, the whole thing goes up in smoke. So the whole problem here is and has been for years, you know, over four years, right? Five, six years, um, really since Ethereum bubbled up. And even before that, in other regards, you know, people needed decentralized oracles, but never had access. Yeah, I think I I don't have the link on me now. You can go look up. There's like an original like Reddit Bitcoin forum where they talk about like the Oracle problem. And this was in like 2013. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, like even going back, yeah, to, to when I first came in, there was a lot of talk about atomic swaps and like, how can we how can we do a swap between Bitcoin and Ethereum? And the tech, the tech was there. I mean, the tech has always been there. The, the problem has always been the price. Like what, how do you know what price you're going to trade at? And you can't know that without um, an Oracle. But back in the day, it was like, you literally had to have an agreement with the other person um, as far as like what price, like you had to have that other side of the trade right in front of you almost. Um so this problem has been around for a long time, and now we're 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 in the early early days, right, of decentralized oracles um, or oracles that call themselves decentralized. As far as um, having price feeds that don't rely just on one exchange or don't rely on some guy in Europe just you know deciding what the price is, uh, or on the project itself just looking for a pipe you know to anywhere they can get the price from. Um, so what makes well, What's unique about Teller in the space? Yeah, so I, I can give your users or your listeners um, just kind of a brief overview of how Teller works. So, so Teller, we like to just kind of think of ourselves as a pretty simple oracle. Um, 
So let's say you know you you need the price of Bitcoin in your smart contract. So the way that Teller works is any anybody can come and you can stake our tokens. You stake about a thousand dollars worth of our tokens, and you put it into our smart contract. We have a whole bunch of people who do that. Uh, you come on chain and you say, "Hey, I'll pay a dollar, uh, or you know the gas price basically plus a dollar um, for somebody to go put the price of Bitcoin on chain." Any of those reporters, like they, if it's enough money, they'll be using MEV and they'll compete to throw the price of Bitcoin on chain for you. And then you can consume it in your smart contract. Um, you don't usually consume it instantly, though. You usually check it first, or basically anybody can check the price that was put on chain. And you can say whether or not they lied. So if he said that the price of Bitcoin was a million dollars, people would come and they would dispute him. So they would say, hey, you lied. Um, we're going to take this value off chain. Um, and then it goes to a vote as far as whether or not he should get slashed. For you as the user, though, if, if there was somebody who lied, another value gets put on chain really quickly. And that's the person that you would have paid. So, um, okay. So yeah. it's, it's based, it's, you're using a token to do all this, right? We have a token. Yeah. And the so token okay. is used for voting. It's used for submitting prices. Well, it's used Everything. for staking, staking and tipping. Yeah, those are the main things. Okay, so what's let me? I'll start with the obvious question. Sure. What's stopping somebody from just buying a ton of tokens and just manipulating the system? Yeah, so there's a few different ways that you can manipulate the system. Um, the first way is, um, you know, you could just, you could just, if you put a bad price value on chain somebody's going to dispute you and it's going to get pulled off. So you as a user probably aren't at any risk unless like nobody's monitoring at all. But you know, some, if you put a bad price value on, you could just even continuously do that, but people are sort of guaranteed to keep trying to dispute you because they know that the vote mechanism is going to last. Um, the other thing that, um, the only way that it would sort of really break the system would be as if you broke that voting mechanism and, and made that people didn't actually, get slashed. Um, and the way that Teller works is it's sort of a four part system as far as how the vote works. So it's, it's a quarter of it goes to, um, the token holders. A quarter of it is based upon whoever the reporters are. So the historical reporters and Teller. So if you're one of those people who's submitting prices, you get a vote and then the users. So if you're one of the people paying for data, you also get a vote. And then we give the team a little bit as well. Uh, just for sort of a sanity check <laughs> on the system. And then okay. so that's the voting mechanism. So you could theoretically break it over time if you like became the major user and reporter of Teller. Um, but that's like sort of a, it would take you a long time to do that. And it would take you a lot of money. So we, we don't claim okay. to be sort of immune to, to hacks. Probably the cheapest way to sort of break Teller would, you know, and there's a whole, you can look up like we have a Teller security article like that what's the cheapest way to break teller it would actually be just be to dispute every value that comes on chain um so you just pay money to pull them off chain and it would run you like uh, a few million dollars a day to just pull every single value off chain um okay. which is you know is that because that, it's still a young pro like if it was to accumulate more users more diversity in the token holdings would that evaporate or is that like a persistent thing that's always going to be there it's sort of a persistent thing if you know that you need more sort of security than that amount mm -hmm. there's ways that you could build into where like so you could you could just have two price feeds and it would double it like <laughs> you think either or and then it would double okay. it um but also like i think most people don't realize like there's sort of a max you need to get as far as censoring goes because like you could actually censor like you know the miners could censor every block on ethereum so like if you were willing to blow like $5 million, you could actually just mine every block in Ethereum for a day and just mm -hmm. prevent all, you could just prevent all contract calls. So th this is, you know, Chainlink's not, you could prevent all contract calls to Chainlink, you could prevent all contract calls to Teller. It's it's not even a, something that they would fork it back. You just didn't include those transactions in the, in the block. So there's sort of like, if you're more secure than that, as far as censoring goes, it's sort of unnecessary. Um, okay. And who's who's feeding prices in to Teller at this point? So anybody can, you know, anybody who stakes, if you want. you you can, if the project wants to. Um, that's sort of the key claim for us as far as like decentralization goes. The way that we think about it is, 
if the current reporters, if they all die or go down, anybody else can go and take their place. There's nothing that says that they have to be voted in by the but team. Are they, or, do you have like reputable price sources as reporters or are reporters like just token holders who are grabbing prices from anywhere they see fit? So it depends on what the user wants as far as like, it's sort of two separate questions. So there's like, who are the people putting data on chain? And then what is the data? Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's sort of two separate problems. The the, the first question as far as who, who it is, um, th- those are our token holders and mainly, so we've gotten some pools in there. It's a lot of like Chinese and Russian people. <laughs> um, you can think like this, these are the, the basic anons who are doing things for a small profit and running some software um they're good people but you know they're okay. not and then so you, like as you're saying that by the way i'm thinking in my head okay do i need and i know the answer is but do i need to trust some anonymous people in china and russia if i'm using teller as an oracle in my project but it sounds like the way you've set this whole thing up is the incentives are there to be honest, right? Yeah. And you disincentivize dishonesty. So you're really relying on financial incentives rather than trust. Right. Like it's similar to like, do you care if, you know, half the Bitcoin miners are in China? No. Right. Like, which it's yeah. like you, you say it like it's a given in Ethereum, but like in Ethereum, right. we've strayed so far from this idea that we should be using financial incentives as opposed to just trust. Like every right. DeFi project that has a multi sig or that has, you know, um, any type of centralization, um, or that uses chain link, uh, is relying on trust in some way and not on financial incentives. Um, no, exactly. So Teller, like from the beginning, was this your idea that, cause you said you came from kind of a Bitcoin background. So were you determined yeah. to find a way to build something using just financial incentives and no trust? Completely. I mean, we okay. like, you know, even from the get go, like we did like we, we, this was like a meme way back when, you, you know, you forget about like no pre-mine and, and no ICO, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to do it right from the get go. So like I, I came from like the libertarian background as far as like the, the reason that we're doing Bitcoin, Ethereum and, and all these smart contracts is for decentralization. Like that's, you know, it's, it's for creating this sort of censorship finance that, you know, in the end will sort of bleed into helping freedom of speech and helping sort of freedom to move money wherever it wants. Like, that that that's the original goal so in order to do that you need to be decentralized to me that's always like where the value proposition has lied so making something that is sort of centralized just it didn't fit yeah and um how is that how has that felt over the past four years like uh <laughs> like how is i mean because the where i'm what i'm getting at yeah, is, no. <clears throat> what i'm getting at is <laughs> You know, for people that that think like this, which I think you and I are on the same wavelength with a lot of this, you know, I think going back and looking at Bitcoin, Bitcoin's development and first its invention in like 2009, which is now 13 years ago, um, and it had 13 years since then to grow into what it is today. You know, and for most of those years, nobody really even knew it was around. Uh, a very, very small group of people were involved um, and it had a lot of time to to mature and grow into sort of a, a battle-tested warrior, you know, in the right. world of finance. So how has it felt for you with Teller? Just, I mean, you started up in, in 2019, you said? Yeah. 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 So how has it been over the past three years? Like as you've watched other projects that are more centralized sort of have more success, you know, and adoption. Yeah, no, it, it's rough. I mean, you, you definitely, you have to sort of believe in it or else it, it, it gets to you because, you know, there's a lot of sort of shortcuts you can make in, in terms of, you know, just jumping the gun and, and trying to cash out. But, you know, I, I, I don't know, for us, it's always come from more of a philosophical background. So it's it's easier to, to stay true. But yeah, no, it, it always sucks whenever you see, you know, centralized competitors. I mean, even even from our get-go, like our, one of our early competitors was like banned protocol in 2019 because they, so they launched, they had an ICO like the same month, like a month after we launched and their ICO, like, you know, we, we couldn't even get like, we, we were like listed at like a $2 million market cap or something 
it's tiny. And like they ICO'd at a $30 million market cap. And we're like, oh my God. Like, and they were just, they had nothing. It was literally like they were calling themselves the chain link of Asia back then. <laughs> was, wow. Yeah. Um, that was the golden era market. of ICOs. <laughs> right. And, you know, so we're like, oh man, is this, is this how it's going to go? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but in the end, you know, it, it sort of worked out like, you know, we're starting to see some good traction now, but yeah, you see, I mean, but you see it everywhere. Like, you know, this, this isn't my first bull bear cycle. Like even the last time, you know, whether it's the EOSs that did really well or, or a lot of those other little flashy ICO projects, um, over mm-hmm. time, over time, the market weeds them out, but you just got to be patient. So Teller is a, you have a company, right? Yeah. That's developing the the protocol we do um and the company is a is a corporation and corporations are intended to generate profit unless it's a a non-profit or a pbc or something like that but yeah but nobody so we this is something so like i'm we've talked to lawyers i mean this is probably getting way deep in the weeds we talked to lawyers about like so can we just decentralize and become a dao um you know, and do that for the founders. Like, so we have a C Corp here in the U S um, and it's still unclear to us what that gets us uh, mm. in a lot of ways, you know, like if considering like it, it would probably be hard for us to, you know, go completely anonymous at this point, at least and keep working on the project, you know, like a lot of times, uh, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, a lot of times, like whenever you see like companies like, Oh, we're going to go to a DAO. Like it's basically, you just like pay everybody indirectly from, the smart contract. So it would be like, I make TRB for my salary and that that's like how, and then you have a multi-sig that pays out the people. That's like what most DAOs are now. Yeah. And yeah, the problem is that, you know, we, we've talked to it, you know, like we, we've, we've talked to lawyer, you know, a couple of lawyers, but even just reading it ourselves, like usually does that mean the developer themselves takes on any liability? Um, as far as like you, you might actually just be giving up a lot of the corporate protections that you have mm-hmm. in the law. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's super so, hard. Yeah, like, there's pros and cons, and there's projects that are doing it both ways, right? Yeah, I um, mean, the biggest thing we're trying to sort of set up Teller in in the way is like if the whole team died and the corporation, you know, or we all go to get sent to prison, or or the multi sig is sig is completely taken over by the FBI, like does it affect Teller and in how like, you know, like in, in now, like, okay, you Wait, can multi-sig <laughs> Well, you know, like our, our team wallet or whatever, you know, okay, that's the, right. like, the, the Teller multi-sig is just a, a wallet. Yeah. Right? We, we just, hold, wallet. we just hold money. So like you could steal our money, okay. but like, could you break the protocol? And that's like making sure that even if that happened, like it's good, like that mm-hmm. the system can run without us. Like that, that's our goal. So I, I think it's like a little bit different. And then even if we want some protections from having a, entity or whatever it's it's still yeah. okay um, but what i was getting at before was was you know you got the corporation and corporations are intended to generate profit yeah. um but you guys are making decisions that are sort of not fully aligned with that goal right you're you're for sure if you were just chasing profit you would be centralizing because you can always achieve more when you're in a more central or when you make those trade-offs you were alluding to before. So, so how do you reconcile that internally? Like, you know, what, first of all, I find it admirable. I think this is the (laughs) way forward. I find that, yeah, when you start to bring corporate entities and investors in and stuff like that, then it starts to get a little tricky, right? Cause then you have to, so we have a lot of different parties. I mean, so we don't really have outside investors in it. It's like sort of a, you know, like we never did like VC rounds, so we don't have like we've never like issued stock or even done like a Series A where we have a board or anything like that. Um, Why? Because we never had to, I guess, which okay. is good, you know. But it's like, like we originally were tr- we tried to raise money in like 2019, and um, it sort of worked out for the best. Like we we went like so yeah, I mean we we went around like we we talked to most of the San Francisco VCs and all the guys out there and like we were trying to raise and like my pitch to them was like if if we hit a five million dollar market cap, you make your money back. Like this is it's it's a no brainer. And then this was twenty nineteen though, so they all said no. And you know, but I think I think it was one of these things where like they, they could just tell how I was like sort of disgusted with 
VCs and the idea of bringing <laughs> VCs on the books. So it was like, you know, you're going through the motions, but you, you really don't want them on. Um, but you were trying. You sort of, you know, like whenever you're a project, like even early on, like people hear about you and, and they'll like VCs will call just say, hey, what's up? Can we invest? And But you could have easily have fallen into that trap. I mean, if somebody you could said, have, all right, yeah. we're I mean, going to cut you a check right now. And, you know, you'd be in a different place right now. For sure. It's super hard. I mean, like, I don't like if somebody is like in 2019, like, you know, we were in, in our derivatives project, like I ran out of money so many times, like I was doing like, I was building people shit tokens on the side on Upwork to like keep the lights on at our derivative project. Um, mm -hmm. Like if somebody came with like, you know, like I know like around this a similar time, like or a little after like API three raised $20 million, like, man, that would have been like life changing. Um, yeah, but you know, it, it sort of played out into actually making something that's, that's worthwhile versus just having a, a corporate system to exit, I guess you could say. So do you, once you, I mean, do you feel like once you get that VC money, it forces the trade-offs? Like, do you feel like Teller would be in a different place right now if you had oh, raised? For sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you would have given up on your principles cause you would have had to. It's, it's not necessarily that you have to, but you just sort of know what's expected. Um, you know, this is, this isn't like my, my thinking alone. Like there, there's a lot of people, like, it's just like sort of the incentive structure of like, once you have a bunch of outside investors who are talking to you and you have that system in place, you make different decisions. Like even, even if you personally don't want to, it's just, you know, you know, like it's like in the corporate world, like, are you actively doing things to, you know you know promote wealth inequality well no but it's like just the way that the whole corporate structure and the systems that we have are set up like it it, it leads to that and, and in a similar vein like whenever if you raise a whole bunch of money you know that the investors are ultimately seeking an exit and um how do you sort of deliver that to them and it's yeah it changes how you think about things definitely in the short term and i, and I think like a big one so definitely the biggest one that we had if you remember You'll, you, I know you probably hate this about Chainlink too. They do the partnership announcements. Uh, Who is you know, this? Like par Chainlink. So they do partnership oh. announcements. Right. Uh huh. 24 7 that are just completely meaningless. And, and this was big in the ICO land. Everybody did partnership announcements and none of them meant anything. And like we, we, we said from day one, it's like, I never want to do a partnership announcement with anybody. Like, like you can do like an integration announcement or like we can have them on a dev call or something. But like, we're not going to do these medium articles with the slash through it and show like this meaningless thing because like every, but you want to do that because people get in this cycle of like, I need, I need that dopamine hit of positive news from my protocols uh, to feel good about my investment. And yeah, it's super this is what well. I was getting at before a little bit was, was like Chainlink um, operates more like a, um, a, a tech company that, um, is striving for a specific goal, whether it's influence or profit or power or whatever it might be, um, which which lines up more with the traditional tech company, right? Where um, yeah. in a capitalist society, this is what it looks like. You know, it's it's you have companies that are pursuing um, big goals and not just you know principled goals, but actual capitalist goals and um, Teller, it sounds like, is in the position it's in right now where it is still a principled project that is putting principle over profit, um, but almost um, out of necessity, almost, or, or not necessity, but like it's almost an accident because you could have raised uh, a few years ago and you might have had a VC involved. You might have had more than one involved and yeah. you might have been sort of... <clears throat> Yeah, like you said, like that expectation, when I said forced before, I kind of, it almost yeah. is kind of forced because it's like you have to, you have to please your investors. And this isn't unique to, to Ethereum or anything like that. This is tech. This is not just tech. It's, it's the world. Like if you start a company, you have a big idea, you want to hire a bunch of people, you have this big vision, you want to raise $10 million, you get a bunch of investors, um, they're going to have a say in how you run your business. You know, and uh, if you are in a, a business where you want to stay, I've seen it multiple times. People start companies, they have a certain vision for them. They have a certain 
reason they're doing it, you know, they want to make the world a better place, whatever, then they raise capital. And then a year or two later, they're in their board meetings with their investors there. And they're like, you know, why, why is this KPI so low? Why is this, you know, you, you need to do something about this and this and this. And the only way they can achieve those goals is to, to trade off on their initial principles, like what they came in believing was true. All of a sudden they have to go back on it. So it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like that could have happened with Teller. It's happened with most projects in the Ethereum space. Yeah. That have no, raised. I mean, I always think about Uniswap as a great example. Like I, I wish like sure. Uniswap wouldn't have raised like a just would have never done the token, but just been like, Hey, like the product's great. We're just going to go away as a team. <laughs> yeah. Peace out. Like that would have been cool. Like it's really an incredible story. Like there's, there's gotta be a book one day just about Uniswap because yeah, I mean, it, it started out, like you said, like one guy, you know, who yeah. you know, he brought others on the team, but like, it was a small group principled group, you know, they, they, decided to build in a decentralized, immutable, unstoppable way, which is what the Uniswap protocols have been so far, uh, version one through three. Uh, and then they went down that path. You know, it's like, it's like, it's unavoidable. You're in your twenties, you're a CEO, you don't really yeah. know what's going on. You get tons of money coming your way. And most 20 somethings are not going to say no to it, you know? And then next thing you know, they've got a staff full of feds, no offense, um, but like they've hired a bunch yeah. of people from government. Um, they've got a VC firm of their own or a VC wing of, of Uniswap. Um, they launched a token, which was abused by VCs. Um, the exit liquidity is, is ridiculous, yeah. you know, and the airdrop thing they invented. Um, but now it's to the point where I don't, I'm afraid of what version four is going to look like. So, um, but yeah, you're right. As an example. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's super tough, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting to, to, I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit because I preach a lot about obviously building trustlessly and decentralized as you can and maximizing um, decentralization and minimizing trust. And you guys have done it. Um, but, and what I wanted to, hear more from you about is do you feel like um sticking to those principles has cost you a competitive edge like do you feel like it limits the rate at which you can grow as opposed to while you watch other projects that are more centralized and making those trade-offs sure. um having success does it does it make you question your approach or do you stay committed to those principles because you know it's the right thing in the long term yeah i mean I, you, you can always look back like, like it's one of those things like if teller would have pumped to you know <laughs> 10x what it did like yeah we would have had more that's always the trade-off that you say in your head like then we would have had more money to build it the way that we want to do but in, in reality you never do you know it, it always sort of leads to something bigger just because you have investors and you have people who are expecting you so yeah i mean like i've just been i try and just keep myself especially as a team like we try and keep ourselves kind of humble as far as like you know i feel lucky enough like i have a house that you know i i can afford working full-time at teller which is phenomenal like i've been you know sort of running teller with you know a bunch of people who i love working with for for years now which is just awesome so try not to Great. think yeah you know try not to think too much beyond that it's it gets tough um yeah, but do you think that that in the long term, do you think that this idea can can gain adoption, or do you think that the the centralized options are going to continue to sort of be the most attractive? No, I'm I'm excited for the bear market. I think you'll see it. Uh, I think you see a flip. You know, I think you're starting to see it flip here with with Tell with Teller, and you know, we're starting to get some adoption, and um. You know, even, even like you see, you see little pieces like Sol Solana goes up really high, but then like, I mean, do you think Solana is going to be around next bull market? Not, not in the same fashion. Nobody's going right. to be building there. You know, none of these centralized protocols are, are going to be there. So, you know, like in, it, it's one of those things that even long-term, like where, where do I see sort of the, the ecosystem as a whole of cryptocurrency in? in 10 years or, or five years. And, and I don't think it, 
you know, we, we don't necessarily need to have mass retail adoption to be, be successful. Like it's okay if it's okay if we're like the cool cypherpunks and we have a bunch of super immutable tools and we can do anything we want. Um, it's okay if you don't, if Amazon isn't using you, like that's cool. Um, and, and I think that's sort of the different mindset that we have. You know, I, I, I can bring it up because I just thought about it. Like we, we went to the, I told you we went to the blockchain Oracle conference last mm-hmm. week. Um, and we, I gave a presentation. I'm, I'm sure they'll be online somewhere about like how to turn Teller more into a protocol. So like the ideal vision of Teller is, you know, people don't even look at it like a similar, like you would look at like a Uniswap or a Bitcoin or something like this is just sort of a protocol. It's unchanging. This is how it works. How do we get Teller to that? And then uh, the next day at the same time was Chainlink's presentation and, and they had Brent come on from Chainlink. Very polished presentation, but it was all about how T-Mobile and Amazon and these reputable partners are coming on and acting as nodes. And this is the future and they're going to, you know, you're going to have every company running a Chainlink node and they'll be providing data and this is how you can trust Chainlink. And I was like, man, like it's, it's just complete opposite mentalities, you know, like where do you see the space? And it's like, this is, I don't think that that's going to be the vision for crypto. Like, I don't think, you know, like that, that's not why you would build an Ethereum. That's why you would go build, you know, in, in the centralized world, like go build just a web two company. Like that's fine. Yeah. So. Do you think that Teller is is ready for um, more adoption? Like, do you feel like that it works to the point and, and has been battle tested enough where yeah. a new DeFi project should feel comfortable using it as a primary data source? Definitely. Yeah. No, I think I think definitely DeFi projects can do it. I think if you're one of these projects that, you know, kind of like we were talking about some of the monetary, like if you're going to have billions and billions of dollars in your protocol, let's sit down and think about this properly. But, you know, you should think about what chain you're on as well properly. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot more adoption now um, on the L2s, to be honest. I, I think you probably know too, Ethereum's really, really expensive. So um, mm-hmm. it's it, most of our adoption now is coming on, say, polygons or arbitrum optimism type stuff. Um, so you, you it's perfect fits for these projects that want to be really quick moving, add things. You know, one of the bigger things that I think that we're trying to flip. So I'm, I'm starting to talk to people in the Oracle space, but the mentality we need to flip is it's like everybody who comes to us to be, to use an Oracle, they come and they say like, can we use this data? Can you put this data on chain? And, you know, can, like, can we have your permission to do this? Like, how much do we have to pay you? And it's this centralized model, you know, like it's, it's, they feel like they have to come to us as a team in order to get data put on chain. And like that, that's what I want to flip. Like, no, like guys, you you can actually go do it with Teller. Like you don't even have to call us. <laughs> you can just go do it. Um, don't, right. don't think that you need our permission to do it, but it, it's like everything flows from Chainlink in that in that sense like you know if you want to use chainlink you got to go sort of ask permission and get them you know to sign some papers and if you want a new data feed it's a big long process whereas us it's like no like just just go do it guys you can do it so what so is the so what are the if you're talking to a somebody's building in defi or on ethereum why should they use teller over chainlink i mean yes there's the principal reasons but as far as efficiency um, as far as accuracy, reliability, are there benefits to Teller over Chainlink? For sure. I, I think some of the bigger pieces are just around the edges. Like, you know, like you can assume that in, for most cases, Chainlink will be just fine. Um, like they're big web two company. If you want an ETH US dollar price feed, they're relatively going to be reliable. Um, you can sort of trust them, but it's when you can't trust them that things are going to go, you know, it's similar to like, should you just use a centralized exchange? Well, no, get your coins off of a centralized exchange. You know, most people know why it's like most of the time it's going to be just fine, but they're holding your coins. Like if, if regulators come after you or if the 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 exchange goes under, you're going to lose all your crypto. So I think that's sort of how teller can be thought about versus chain link. Like most of the time it's probably going to be fine, but, you know, some of the issues we've seen with Chainlink just come in in terms of 
okay, well, what happens, you know, what happens if regulators don't like your use case and they go after Chainlink, would Chainlink comply? Most likely they would probably have to. Um, and nothing, nothing against Chainlink, but they would have to do that. So you'd be in trouble. Um, another thing too, that we like to say is, is sort of liveness guarantees. So Chainlink has a set number of nodes. And if those nodes go down, there's nothing you can do about it as a user. Um, you, you've seen this problem. So if you remember like Black Thursday, I've been giving this example probably for too many years now. Um, it was like crypto prices crashed by 50% in one day. Mm-hmm. And gas prices, of course, shot through the roof. So it was crazy expensive. And all the Chainlink nodes basically just like kind of stopped stopped pushing <laughs> data on chain as much. And um, because it got more expensive, even the maker nodes like sort of were slow to update because you hit like all the max gas settings in all of your nodes. Um, and right. for the chain link node operators, like what's the incentive for them to put that on chain and pay the higher gas prices? There's actually none. You know, they they don't get paid more or less if they're putting it on versus not. And, and you as a user, is there any way for you to directly pay them or incentivize them? Well, no, <laughs> you're sort of just trusting them. So, so people were, people kind of got screwed over as far as like, you had some stale prices. So I think, whereas if you build a system that's flexible, similar like Ethereum, yes, things can get more expensive when they're busy, but if, if you want a transaction to go through, you can mine the block yourself. Um, you can pay some miner and they'll put it in. Um, and, and I think just building systems that sort of can scale like that, it, it's different. How does Teller fix that that problem right there? So with that one, you can just tip. So if gas prices get really expensive, you can, you can up your tip. Um, you can mine it yourself. <laughs> you, you can go stake our token and you can report it yourself. Of course, anybody can dispute you, but um, a bunch of different ways as far as just having it openly and permissionless. Like it would be similar to like if all the chain link nodes went down and then you could just go become a chain link node and report prices. That would be cool, but you can't. Okay. So, so but the reporters are still incentivized to push prices even when the gas prices are high. Yeah. Well, you have to pay them. So, right. you know, like you have to pay them more if gas prices get higher. Okay. How, clarify for me how that part works. So let's say I'm a reporter. I've got prices. Gas is like a thousand guay and I don't want to mess with it. Um, how does somebody incentivize me to, to, to do that? So we have a tip contract. You can send money there. Um, usually it's. So what you would say is that um, we in our we call them reporter software. People have a bunch of different ones that you can run and they usually have what's called profitability checks. So like is the amount of money I'm getting from your tip greater than the amount I'm going to be spending in gas? And if it is, I'm going to submit it. If it's not, I'm not going to submit. So and this is all happening on chain. Well, no. So that profitability check is off chain, but the tip is on chain and the data that I push is on chain. So I'm that reporter and I have, so there's something happening on chain, this tip contract I can look at yeah, where so I can have a bot or whatever that, that says if it, if X plus Y equals Z, then or is greater than yep. you know, Q, <laughs> then For sure. the price. Okay. Yep. Then it's going to pull the price from whatever sources I'm using. Yep. and pull it and then that person who's tipping has to hope that it's valid price well they don't have to hope i mean if it's a bad price you're incentivized to dispute them so like if it's a bad price i'll put up a dispute fee and i'll get your stake so okay I, I, well anybody would usually usually the people who dispute are other reporters so like all the reporters sort of hate each other so if somebody puts up a bad price they quickly check and submit a dispute most so we've had like seven disputes over the past year and i think every single one of them has just been um like somebody's like a few of them were like hey i accidentally turned on my i was testing my reporter and i accidentally had it on mainnet um a few of those and then you had a few of like the apis would go down and somebody would accidentally submit zero and then you would found out that they were only using one api which is we tell them is a no-go but Gotcha. So the developer of, let me just ask a few things that I'm still not totally clear on. The developer of a project needs price. He's tipping to get the price. Um, Reporter sends the price. The, The price that they're receiving in whatever app is asking for it, the price is 
it needs to be used right now, right? It needs to be used immediately uh, for whatever purpose, you know, to see if something should be liquidated or so well, sometimes. So yeah. No, what do you usually, mean by sometimes? Well, we tell people to wait, you know, cause you want to wait for a dispute. That's the difference piece in teller. So that that's like, you can't use prices from teller right away. Um, okay. Cause there has to be a dispute period as far as you see it put on chain. How long do you want to wait to use it? And, and that we leave up to the user. So obviously the longer you want to wait, the more secure you are. Uh, if you wanted to use it within a minute, as long as you're sort of checking it yourself and submitting disputes, that could be okay. It depends on sort of the protocol and what the risks are to using it right away. Okay. So, so, so like in that case, like somebody waits a minute and is doing some kind of a sanity check on their end to s- against another price source, whether, you know, another Oracle or AMM yeah. or something like that. Um, so uh, there's no, like you cannot use Teller without a backup, right? You have to have something that you're checking it against. No, I mean, you can, you can check it off chain and then dispute. But you have yeah. to check it. Well you, would like, okay. that, well, you would hope that the system would be checking itself, but you but would. But conflicting you know. it with, uh, comparing it to, to like um, Ave, Ave is sure. using Chainlink with no check, yeah. right? So they're just using Chainlink prices. Yeah. They're not checking them. They're using them right away as soon as they receive them, um, as far as That's I know. That idea. Um, and there's no, there's no automated check. I mean, I'm sure they can eyeball it um, after the fact, but if Chainlink sends a bad price, um, Everyone's it's over. Yeah. But they have so much faith in it that they're doing that. Um, but you would never advise somebody to use Teller in that way. No, certainly not. Um, yeah, usually you would want to tell people, just assume that the Oracle can fail and build in some sort of methodology for having it fail. Um, whether it's adding another Oracle that it switches to or, you know, so for instance, Maker has, you know, they have, when they get an Oracle update, they wait an hour before they update it in system. Um, and there's like the extreme, it's extreme, but like you can shut down the whole system and unwind it all if the Oracle price is that bad. So like right. at least, at least you have, you know, <laughs> at least something could be done. And so, yeah, definitely just having thinking through how an Oracle could fail and um, yeah, it's definitely best practice, man. Just having this conversation makes me realize how early we still are. Like it's crazy like that for sure. You can already picture in 10 years from now, like this, people would hear this conversation. It's going to sound like a, a Bitcoin conversation 10 years ago now, you know, like, or maybe even right. longer, you know, where it's like, you know, uh, block size or, you know, actually block size was only four years ago. <laughs> so it's crazy stuff. Um, but, um, I think that was what longer than four about? years ago now, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess it's it was. Getting back. Um, what do you think about the current state of of um, of Ethereum in the way that things are trending as far as oracles? Like, do you feel like do you feel like uh, more people are choosing just faster, like going with the crowd almost, choosing the faster, um, easier to use stuff? And do you feel like that trend is going to continue, or do you feel like there's a chance to still shift it? I think there's a good chance we'll shift it. Um... I mean, I, I, hate to, look? I hate to say it. I think regulators will probably be decentralization's friend for the next few years. Um, you mentioned okay. that before. So you think you think Chainlink gets a gets a call from a regulator? How does that? Yeah, go? well, in a lot of ways. So, like, I I gave this talk before on the Polymarket case. Um, you know, Polymarket had they were running a prediction market, and in the CFTC action, if you're a prediction market, you're supposed to go register at the CFTC. Um, and one of the things that they claimed, A, they were running their own website and B, they were resolving their own markets, which is through the settlement price to the prediction market, which is you were running the Oracle. And the obvious question comes in, okay, so like if they're, if resolving markets makes you have to go register, that's cool. But if you give the job of resolving markets to Chainlink, does Chainlink now have to go register if everything else is decentralized? And the answer, you know, like I talked to the regulators who I used to work with about it, and they were like, 
you're asking the right questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's not a good sign. Yeah, and you're like, oh dear God. Um, if they can understand the question, then then you know they want to chase it and enforce it somehow. But yeah, certainly. So I think you know, like, what would it look like if they went? You know, they would it would probably be like there's like all the you know requests for information first, and they come and do a deep dive and try and actually figure out what's going on. But I but I think the regulators are smart enough to know exactly what's going on in most of these cases. Um, and yeah, like it's just you would really have trouble um, getting around the fact that Chainlink probably would need to go register in some sense. I mean, not even mentioning the whole security aspect um, of it. So, you know, I, I think a lot of these financial products that people are building because I the the harder products that Teller has, you know, we have a little bit of a wait period, and people want, you know, even like the what are the problems with using Ethereum versus a Solana, um, and the actual answer is, is like, people are coming in and they're trying to build these, they're just trying to build financial engineered project products from the web to world. So high frequency trading, high frequency leverage derivatives trading, you know, things that you see in a normal, you know, on a normal exchange, and they're just putting them onto these platforms, and they want it to work like the web to world. Um, but like it can't <laughs> like Ethereum's slower. There's not finality. Oracle's, you know, the, we have some issues as far as you got to wait for disputes and prices aren't exact. So like, yeah, whenever people are just trying to build these Web two financial products and trying to get retail adoption, that's that's not good for the space. I'm hoping that over time we get away from doing that. We have our own separate financial products that we want to use and. Um, we build things on a blockchain that should be built on a blockchain, um, namely things that need censorship resistance. And, and once we get back to that, that'll be good. So, yeah, I, I get like the the what you're saying right now is often used in response to some of the criticism I put out there. Like, you know, well, how else are we supposed to build a high frequency yes. trading system on Ethereum if we can't do it this way? And the, that's the feedback I usually give, which they cannot wrap their heads around is like, maybe you shouldn't be building a high frequency trading system on Ethereum. Maybe right. this is not the right technology. Maybe you're trying to do something that this wasn't really designed to do. Um, and maybe you're just going to mutate this whole thing into something way worse if you continue down this path. And then the feedback is always, well, then what are we going to do? Like, you have a better idea on something to build here? And, yes. um, you know, then my feedback to them is, well, guess what? Maybe the real use of this stuff hasn't been discovered yet, you know, and maybe we need to keep on trying new things in order to, to figure out what this new financial world is going to look like. Cause if it's just going to look exactly like the old financial world with the same middlemen and the same, you know, and with more security risks and more trust requirements, then what's the point? Like, what are we really adding into this, um, Yes, you have permissionlessness, you have transparency to a certain extent, um, but those two things alone don't make this worth it. Those trade-offs, you know, you have permissionlessness and transparency, but you have more trust required, you have more centralization, um, you have more middlemen involved, more layers almost sometimes than in the traditional world, which people don't understand, but you will when Chainlink gets regulated and you have all these watchdogs involved and uh, you know, so um, but I hear you on that. And um, like, do you have any ideas on what that, like what those financial tools are going to look like yet? Or do you think, do you agree that it's still too early to know? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've always been like, I don't know, what are the use cases that we've done in the past? You know, like with, with Bitcoin, you got like digital gold, but then, like, what were the actual use cases that took off here? I think you had, like, what, people were using it for capital controls and for buying drugs online. And then you had ICOs, which would be, like, I would say regulatory arbitrage in the sense that, like, issuing a stock and raising money early for companies was sort of a pain in the ass. So people started doing ICOs and, you know, investing in early stage companies was really hard. So ICOs took off. And then the problem became, well, the regulators cracked down on that and there was no way to trade or do anything with them. For a while, so decentralized exchanges took off, and you can say that they've took off. So, like, what what's sort of next? And and I think a I I bet we're going to see privacy come back. You know, we, we need all this stuff to be private. 
we still need deck bridges to work. Bridges are still really centralized. Um, you know, we could bridges are basically oracles as well. So you know, an oracle on each chain grabs information about the other chain. Um, so you know, having like cross chain dexes and having you know, I know you talked to the Thor chain guys, which you know, there there's some some stuff to be hoped for there. But you know, it's an early implementation, and I think that over time we're going to get really really good ones, and then if everything on these networks is private and then, you know, we obviously want like, so what are the actual censorship resistant things that we want to see? Okay. So like free speech. So like having better journalism or having platforms for, you know, academic integrity on chain, like th- those are the ones that I think that you're going to eventually see on chain that we haven't yet. But, you know, do we need a Facebook on chain? Do we need a, <laughs> a YouTube on chain? Probably not. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. What do you think um what do you think Chainlink's going to look like in 5 years? Um I give I gave my hot my hot take last week. I was I don't know like seeing them and they they've hired all these people. Uh mm-hmm. I I think it would be fun to see if if their token price goes down enough to see if they actually issue a stock. I huh. think that would be I think that would be fun. Um so you transition for it, like actually into the, that world, and then you just completely go into the Web two world. Um, you, so that's what I'm getting at. Do you think that it continues to just transition into a centralized entity? Um, I mean, what a lot of these teams are trying to do is like fake the decentralization, right? Like have these yeah. theatrics. Um, I guess what what I'm wondering is with with a project like Chainlink, do you think? And by the way, this is a, as opposed to a project like Tellor that takes pride in its you know openness yeah. and permissionlessness and, and trustlessness, um, very different things. But do you think that it's going to take a project like Chainlink to continue? You know, more in that direction, more corporate, um, like you said, issue a stock, become well, I mean, regulated. Yeah, I mean, they're obviously buddies with the WEF and, um, you know, like, who who have they brought on? They brought on, like, Eric Schmidt from Google and they brought on, like, ex-Microsoft people. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think you see it in the space a lot. So, like, most founders, like, you know, Vitalik and a few, you know, others aside, like, once you get those billions of dollars, which I'm sure Sergey and the early guys have, um, what what happens? So like, you know, like I think like Maker is a good example of a project that like did it sort of okay and that they they decentralized all the pieces and quit, um, you know, and they got out that way. And they're, they're trying, you're trying to basically protect yourself from ever going to prison because you made a whole bunch of money. And then, you know, I think like Sergey and, and, and all the guys over at Chainlink, like I think you hire out a bunch of Web2 corporate people to try and run this business that you have a ton of money in you know you have more bank than you know probably most crypto project like any crypto project so what do you do with it and their thinking isn't sort of built on this decentralization so they'll try and build it like a web 2 company how can they sort of make money as a web 2 company and so yeah that that's the route that i see them going down and and that's like i hope they go i will uh, gladly usher them out um (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I but if they wish them the best of luck. So. I mean, you're saying that because you think then they'll be exposed as, you know, sort of what they really yeah. are, which is a, kind of a more centralized um, entity. But do you think that that would really hurt adoption for them? Or do you think it would help adoption if they are the regulated path that you can legally use as a price source? Um, sure. Do you think that that would hurt them or help them with adoption in the Ethereum space? I think it would hurt them for sure um, because I think I think protocols like Aave or other ones who compound, you know, who, who rely on that meme, the, the idea of decentralization wouldn't be able to use them then. So, you know, people who who go down that path for their own rights, you, you're going to see this split in the long run. And then that's because like if you want, let's say, kind of like we were talking before, these, these applications will be private and you're going to be able to to do these things without anybody knowing or anybody will be able to stop it. Uh, eventually, if, if these get large enough, the US is going to come on and say, well, North Korea or some terrorist organization <laughs> put money through here and you are therefore, therefore a better, you know, 
helping people launder money and it's illegal. Um, Chainlink would not then be able to provide prices to them or they would need to have some way to shut that off. Um, and, and that's eventually what I see going. And unless you actually have the, you know, sort of like the liquidity or the, or the teller system where it's like, hey, we would love to, but we can't, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're in trouble. So that that's where I think the systems are going to go eventually. Like you have to build these things so you can't shut it off because at some point somebody's going to ask you to and you're, you know, you're going to have to. Doesn't it seem more likely though that that some of these like lending protocols, for instance, would try to redefine themselves in a way where they could shut it off? You know, by yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, yeah, Compound got raided and everything. I mean, one of the the predictions I've had for a while is that this stuff would start to come down where they try to force DeFi to, or they say say terrorists are using it, North Korea is using it, whatever. And then that gives the DeFi project the reason to move to um, move its primary um, platform to a layer two. It could be a new layer two. It doesn't exist yet where the only way to bridge in and out is through a regulated KYC AML like um, bridge of sort. Maybe it's even a centralized bridge. Um, And that's the only way in and out. And then if you want to legally use this thing, this is the place to do it. Um, of course, you can still do illegal stuff, but no, who wants to do illegal stuff, right? Everybody's afraid to do illegal stuff. They don't want to use stuff that's out, you know. So, um, and plus, all the liquidity would just follow because VCs don't want to break the law. Institutions don't want to break the law. Um, no, do you but think I, that that's think a realistic? It, mm-hmm. it is, for sure. No, but I, I think you would still have, there would be a segment of DeFi and of, the crypto sector that would still stay wild westish um it would move more into the shadows maybe you know like in the same way like you know like if you would have said like similar to how like the and and i think it would become separate communities too like i'd say like the bitcoin and ethereum communities now are almost completely separate as far as like the bitcoin maxis go and you know like who would have said 10 years ago like oh in the future like you know Bitcoin, you're only going to trade it on KYC AMLD exchanges and the vast holders are going to be big banks and and those customers trading it on Robinhood or some centralized app and you would have been like, No, you're crazy. We're never going to do that. Like we're right. going to keep we're going to keep innovating and and I think this might be like that moment for Ethereum where we move Yeah, maybe maybe there will be like a KYC chain or something like that where you have to have it there. But So uh, where do you see Teller in, in five years then if that kind of progression occurs i hope we stay on the cyber cypherpunk side you know i want to stay on the the side of people continuing to fight um ideally ideally we're enough of a useful tool and and sort of taken out of it as far as like where we go that people can use it on either one so like similar like you'd expect uniswap on both of them or to be launched on both of them like i hope we're like that the standard and the tool and that that's the way that you do it but you don't think of Teller that way. You think of Teller just this is something that can be used on on any of these blockchain platforms, and it works. is decentralized, and <laughs> don't expect anything else of it. That'd be cool. So, if somebody wants to get started um, exploring Teller, using Teller as their primary um, data feed now like you said like they don't have to call you they can just read the docs yeah do it right um whether they're receiving prices or reporting prices or whatever they want to do um it's permissionless like anybody can jump in or out at any time completely yeah okay but then uh, on the same note if you guys need any help uh <laughs> give us a call because we're happy to help too uh, we got You've a got a community. Discord or something that people can jump into? Yeah, we got a Discord website. is teller.io. Um, people can jump in and just come find us. Is there anybody you would tell not to not to even waste their time with Teller because it won't work? Like we already talked about like HFT. And like if you need yeah. immediate prices or immediate data that you act on immediately, um, you're not going to find that in a trustless way, right? Yeah, don't do that. Um other There's literally like no option for those for those people. They have to use centralized data feeds, right? Yeah. Or if you're using a centralized data feed, like you know, like if 
we, we've had some projects that are like, we run an API and we want to put it on chain. Can you put it on chain through Teller? I'm like, why don't you guys just put the data feed on chain? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you can shut it down. Um, yeah. But yeah, so those kind of things make um, Teller would not yeah. be an ideal use for. And that's where you get the pushback sometimes. It's like, well, then, you know, decentralization will never be better because you can't do X, Y, Z with it. And, you know, bottom line is decentralization. Unfortunately, it's true. I think it's always a little bit slower. It's always a little bit messier. It's always a little bit less efficient. Um, you can't truly build and maximize decentralization without without those trade-offs. You just can't. You know, you're, you're always going to have slick fast, cheap, efficient, centralized systems, you know, you compare Bitcoin to PayPal, you know, which one's faster, right? PayPal's right. faster, but there's a reason we have Bitcoin. There's a reason we need Teller. There's a reason we need Liquidity. There's a reason we need these truly trustless and immutable and, and unstoppable um, products. So um, thank you for for doing this and for, I mean, it's not, yeah. it's, it's the hard path. It is. It's the difficult path. Um, but you know, you you see it too, man. It's been, this is awesome. Like just educating people is the best. Like, I mean, you don't know how many people we talked to that were the, before they listened to you or before that they sort of really deep dived into chain link, like they didn't even know there were other oracles. They didn't know it was something you could choose. And so like just educating people is, it's so important. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the reason I, put it out there you know it's just and it's again i'm not promoting one over the other i'm just we're just putting truth out there you know it's just facts it's the the way it is you know and and you know if you're heavily invested in something you know and it upsets you that's i'm sorry you know that's too bad um there's nothing we're saying here anywhere that's not factual Chainlink is um operates like a corporation there it has a a four of nine multi-sig that can control any of its price feeds. Um, And there's a number of other reasons that you should look at it with skepticism. If you're looking for something that is decentralized and is going to stay decentralized and has the proper, um, the incentive alignment that you should be looking for as a DeFi project. Um, Teller is much more in line with, you know, incentive alignment, trustlessness, now, now, does this stuff come with trade-offs? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, if you want to use a chain link price and you want to use it that second, then, you know, you can do that. You're making trade-offs there too. Um, Teller, do you want to use that price as soon as you receive it? No. Um, we haven't found the perfect model yet, but if you you have to decide what you're going to maximize. And that, that's where a lot of, of devs in this space, they struggle, you know, and especially when they achieve a little bit of success and that VC money shows up. And then, you know, it's game over as far as uh, sticking to your principles. Uh, and that's why I tend to be pretty anti-VC in the space, you know, just for that reason. Because yeah. that, in, like we just talked about, that investment forces people to compromise on their principles. So if you're building in the space... Even, what did Chainlink raise, do you know? I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, no, I don't. It was, it was early, uh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to watch. Um so, you know, hopefully one day I can have a similar chat with somebody from Chainlink and, you know, ask, I mean, I'm sure there's another side of the story. It's just nobody wants to talk about it, you know, so um, it'd be good to it'd be good to do that. But well, thank you for joining and uh, thank you for staying principled and, and strong in the space. And uh, thanks for Teller, um, look at the show notes if you're still listening and you want to check Teller. I'll put the, the links and the, the website and the discord and stuff like that in the show notes. So yeah. thanks again, Nick. Thanks. Yeah, talk to you soon.